Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown, your Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Jake Burns. Before we get to this podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, reminder, our good friends at TickPick, who sponsor this show specifically, you should be taking advantage of what they have going at TickPick, where you get $10 off your first order by using the promo code BREAKDOWN. And you might be wondering, why should I use TickPick? What makes them different? Well, TickPick is the no-fee site, the original no-fee site. So what you see when shopping for seats, the price on the screen, is the price that you will receive when you check out. Plus, using the promo code BREAKDOWN will get you that $10 off your first order. Make sure to do that on the desktop, not the mobile, to get that activation offer. Take advantage of it. They're so confident in what they offer at TickPick, they will match up to 110% if you find a cheaper ticket in the same location from another site. TickPick.com, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com. Take advantage of TickPick today. $10 off using the promo code BreakdownTickPick.com slash Breakdown. So we are doing our usual defensive comprehensive breakdown. And let me tell you, boy, was that fun. That was fun. And it, it it's... Uh, Put it this way, as frustrating as the offense was to watch was the complete 180 of the defense. And you got nervous because as this game started, this is a little complaint in the ocean of fantastic football for the Browns defense the last two weeks is that uh, I believe now each of the last three weeks and maybe Kansas City too, I'd have to check, the opening possession has been... Uh, has resulted in points for the Browns' opponent. So they go 14 plays, 80 yards to start the game. They take the kickoff, 14 plays, 80 yards. A little bit frustrating. There was a cover four concept down there on a third and 12 where they could have held them to three points. It looked to me you got an exchange concept where Justin Jefferson exchanged to outside, and when he took off outside on on the top of the stem of his route, Denzel was the one to take that route because John then you know, covered up the seam that was happening in front of his face. And Denzel sort of presumed that the corner route was going to be run by Jefferson, but Jefferson actually hit the corner stem and then buckled it up. And Denzel was assuming that he was going to be running to the corner. He sits down. It's it's a really good route concept for quarters because it puts the safety and corner in a bind and it worked perfectly. But technically... That is on Denzel. He has to squeeze that. He is the man responsible for it. Once that outward break happens into the quarter's corner, it is Denzel's play to make. So it's just kind of the nature of it. And sometimes the offense is paid to score points and they call the perfect, perfect scheme. So it was a really nice scheme, but that's where the blame lies for that, unfortunately. it uh, The beautiful part of that 14-play 80 drive is that after that, the Browns allowed just 175 yards the rest of the game. They hold the Vikings to 255 yards, 5 of 16 on third down for Minnesota. Only 63 plays, a 4 yards per play average. A rushing net of 65 yards all game. Hold Dalvin Cook, 9 carries, 34 yards. Alexander Madison, very talented, 10 carries, 20 yards. Fantastic. You could take away 10 cheap yards on a reverse to K.J. Osborne too. So you're really looking at like 53 yards. 55 yards of net rushing, 190 net passing yards, turnovers they created once, they won the turnover battle on the day, they forced six punts, so again, fantastic defense, and if you look at the possessions, I'll read these off to you, after the 80 yard, uh, 14 play 80 yard drive that resulted in touchdown, here you go, three plays, one yard, seven plays, 34 yards, three plays, five yards, one play, negative one, halftime, coming out of halftime, three plays, negative two, three plays, zero, eight for 51, and a punt, 3 for 4, 1 for 0, 8 for 55, 9 for 28. So if you take out the junk time last two drives, I mean, it even gets uglier. They held them to like 100 real game yards. It was it was so dominating. And if you go to Pro Football Focus to sort of justify what your eyeballs witnessed, which processed, 
Uh, they were. This was a better graded game collectively for the defense than it was last week. And we know how historic last week was with allowing one net passing yard. The last week they put up an 82.7 collective defensive grade for everybody, partly because the defense uh, run defense grade imp- improved from a 61.7 against the Bears to a 72.7 this week. Tackling stayed about the same. The pass rush went up. <laughs> Imagine that. Nine sacks. This week, though, the pass rush grade went up. 75.5 to 83.3. That tells you everybody was getting after it. Not just a couple people, everybody. Coverage grade went down a, f- a little bit, but again, you're, 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 you know, it's a better passing offense, a better quarterback than what they were dealing with last week. So that's fun. Okay. The metrics are fun. When your team's performing well like that, it's great. Leaders in the clubhouse for grades in this specific game Miles Garrett, 90.2 justifiably so created nine pressures i posted a clip on the obr film breakdown twitter page make sure you're following that at the o- at the obr bd uh hold on i think it's obr film bdm could be wrong check on it but again go scope that that play out it caught a lot of it caught a lot of buzz it was a uh it was a bull rush by miles garrett where he makes i think it's rashad hill look uh look like i was trying to block him he moved that man out of the way tossed him uh, out of the way it was it was quite remarkable as a bull rush he's a freak my miles garrett is not from this planet he can go on some cold spells but he eventually figures it out and he is dominating winning inside and outside and he should strike fear in everybody coming up on the schedule because he is in uh, he's in his own 79.9 pass rush grade collectively 77.3 run grade thought he played the run phase really well nine total pressures three hits five hurries one sack Four tackles, two stop plays. Fantastic. Greedy Williams, shout out to Greedy Williams. 67 snaps. Okay, that's obviously they played 63 charted snaps on the game, guys. They take off the penalties. So 67 was what he played in the game. An 86.4 grade, 78.9 tackling. Continuing what was pretty solid tackling in his rookie season in 2019. 87.0 coverage grade, five tackles. Was targeted five times. Only he gave up four catches for only 61 yards, and had an interception, a huge interception, a beautiful pass off that I cannot wait to break down uh, with you guys with John Stephenson in the OBR uh, Chalk Talk Wednesday where we do defense. 81.4 grade and 49 snaps for Jadevian Clowney. 71.7 pass rush grade. 74.6 run defense. He makes a difference in run defense. Two batted throws. It's fantastic. He had one tackle, one assisted tackle. He had a stop play. He had four hurries, a hit, so five total pressures on the game. He might not be blowing up the stat chart, but that guy makes he makes a difference. Sorry, he had seven. I'm sorry, he had seven hurries. I'm, I'm looking down at Malik Jackson. He had seven hurries. So, fantastic Jadevian Clowney game. Malik Jackson, best game as a Cleveland Brown, 51 snaps, 81.8. 75.4 pass rush grade, 77.0 run defense grade. He is the one who had five total pressures with four hurries and a hit, two tackles, and he's the one with two batted down balls. I'm sorry about that. Got to get my eyes checked here. He's the one with two of those. Had a stop tackle. The eyes continue to tell you the truth about Jeremiah Wusu koromoa 75.8, 76.2 run defense, 77.3 pass rush. Hit a beautiful inside spin move that I posted on the uh, – the OBR film breakdown page. Just a beautiful move to get a nice little pass rush mark for this game. Got a pressure out of it. He had six tackles. He did miss one tackle, but he had six tackles, four stop plays. Again, stop plays are those plays that constitute a a zero a zero gain for the defense, either at the line of scrimmage. It's constituting a stop. It stops the offense from moving forward. Great game from JOK. And uh, it was only targeted one time, didn't give up a catch. Denzel Ward, 74.8, his best grade of the year. And 84.3 because of his two green dog to the tight end nub side, where he said, oh, this tight end's staying in, I'm going to pass rush. Gets a hit, a sack, two total pressures on the quarterback. Has two tackles, two stop plays. Two for five in coverage in his direction, for one for 31 yards. He actually did not get the blame for the touchdown. Pro Football Focus gave the blame to John Johnson. We, myself and John Stephenson, are actually thinking that's more on Denzel, but that is what Pro Football Focus did. I don't know. Tough to say on that one. 
the the way they could throw that ball up the seam for the touchdown and it's it's who's that blame go to so i i don't know that's that's eh, don't love it but anyway good game for denzel ward not perfect gave up that long play uh to uh, Justin Jefferson late in the game that you don't like to see, but a, pre- a pretty damn good game, and he's needed one of those for a while. Again, Malcolm Smith, 51 snaps, 74.6. Nice game, 81.6 tackle grade, 72.5 coverage grade. Seven tackles on the day, playing Mike Linebacker. Four stop plays, tying him with JOK for most on the team for the day. Nice game collectively. Two catches and two uh, two targets his direction, two catches, only 16 yards. Grant Delpit. 65 snaps, career high, obviously, stepping in for Ronnie Harrison, who was left who left the game early with the head issue. Uh, turns out not to be a concussion, which is great. 74.1 for Grant Delpit, 62.4 run defense, 71.4 coverage mark. Didn't have to make many tackles, but he took on the fullback two times and played really well taking on C.J. Ham at the point of attack to free up linebackers. Loved it. Was targeted twice, was Grant Delpit. He had a heck of a pass breakup on one of those targets. Okay? A heck of a pass breakup. And uh, a nice tip ball. I think it actually ended up being there was a penalty on that play, so it doesn't get officially marked, but he covered an Adam Thielen over route from a cover three squat position. He ran with it, cut it off, and it was just great coverage. A great coverage, great play. Troy Hill, another solid week. They trusted Troy Hill. They funneled things to, to lock up Thielen and Jefferson, and they said, Troy Hill, you control the middle of the field in coverage against their number three wide receiver. D.D. Westbrook, you know, K.J. Osborne, you cover him, man, and he did. 72.0 grade and 42 snaps, 76.8 in run defense, which a corner in nickel has to be a tough SOB in run defense. He continues to be. He had three stop tackles, 76.0 tackle grade, 69.1 coverage grade, fantastic work. Three uh, catches on seven targets in his direction for just 23 yards. Tack McKinley, 38 snaps, is a force when coming in as a pass rusher. Number 55 is, man. 71.4. He's had three, he had three pressures in this game, two hurries, one sack. Great game, one stop tackle. MJ Stewart, who slid into that dimebacker role, took over for obviously what Grant, uh, sorry, Ronnie Harrison would step forward and play in dime situations. 67.0 grade, 76.7 tackle grade, 67.3 in coverage. Really, really nice three-stop tackles for MJ Stewart. These DBs stepped up and run fits, man. Fantastic work. Mac Wilson, 66.3 grade and 11 snaps. Guys who played a lot of snaps. Again, John Johnson gets punished in his 67 snaps because they give him the touchdown, which I don't totally agree with. I thought John Johnson played well. He had a nice blitz pressure. He uh, would have had an interception if Miles had not destroyed uh, the left tackle and Kirk Cousins on one play. Really liked how John Johnson played in this game. Jordan Elliott, 15 snaps of 56 grade. Elijah Lee played 14 snaps, spelling Malcolm Smith at Mike Linebacker a, f- a couple times of 53.7 grade. The only player who played considerable snaps and, and graded poorly was Malik McDowell, 44.2. And I didn't see that. I mean... His pass rush got a 65.6. His run defense got a 50.7. They, they dinged him because he missed a tackle. He had one missed tackle, and that turned his tackle grade into a 28.2. I think Malik McDowell's playing well. Again, thought he played well yesterday. I don't know. Whatever. A.J. Green had one snap. He had one target in his direction. I thought it was great coverage, uh, but K.J. Osborne made a fantastic catch that Stefanski challenged and didn't stand up. Andrew Billings had five ca- uh, five snaps. Continues to get bullied at the point of attack. I just don't see a role for Andrew Billings. Uh, it's just a disappointment in that signing because it has not been what we thought it would be. And uh, that's it's unfortunate. We thought he would be better, and he has not been better. Data for you. Uh, in this game, the Browns played. Now, the, the last week, the Bears played a lot of 11 personnel. I think the Browns, yeah, the Browns only played one base snap. But anytime a team comes out in 21 or 12, or 13, the Browns are matching it in base. And JOK started to play some base. They played 24 snaps in base in this game. They played 17 snaps in nickel, and 20, I believe, 22 snaps in dime. So they're still a heavy nickel-dime team. They'll continue to be so. Obviously, because you're going to match what the Vikings are trying to come back in this game late, right? Like they're going to be in 11 personnel or 10 personnel, which they were in sometimes. You got to match it. From a coverage standpoint, they played two-man four times, which I thought is a nice uptick and a really nice wrinkle 
to what they do, and they bracketed Thielen and Jefferson well. They played cover one 13 times. That's a big uptick in this game. They had only played cover one. I'd have to check the metrics on that uh, to, to be certain. Uh, I probably have it up right here in front of me. They'd only played cover one coming into this game. Man free is what some call it. 29 times. So to play at 13 in this game, big uptick. Okay. Uh, they played cover three 20 times. Still their most popular coverage choice, cover four quarters. They played it 16 times. And then cover six, which is their nice, you know, half field quarter, quarter, deep section coverage. A nice wrinkle to what they like to do in quarters. They played that eight times. Okay. They brought five plus rushers 10 times. Technically 10 times. Two of those were Green Dog Denzel Ward blitzes. We're not, which are not guaranteed blitzes. It's a trigger blitz. The guy stays in, you blitz. Okay. They did one peel where they brought five guys initially and then wheeled out uh, the, the linebacker who is the fifth blitzer. They they peeled him out to cover the running back. Malcolm Smith did that one time. And then one time when the John Johnson blitz happened, which is my favorite blitz on the day, they blitzed John Johnson and then did a step delay blitz where they turned JOK like he was going to uh, drop into hook zone and then he started pressuring. They both came free and they actually took the the weak side defensive end away from the blitz. They dropped him into into immediate curl flat and it was right into the screen and boy did it look pretty it just was so well schemed and timed was perfection my favorite blitz on the day they didn't bring any more than five they did not bring a six-man pressure okay so they had that sim look so they really brought like six true five-man pressures they didn't blitz a ton they're still not blitzing the metrics that you should know 22 pressures on kirk cousins 16 of those pressures were from four-man blitzes alone they're covering better and they are, they're getting after it with the front four, which is the best formula in the modern NFL, being able to play seven coverage defenders, right? And blitz and get pressure organically with your front four. And the front four are talented and playing good football. Miles is dominating. Jadevian Clowney is, is really stepping up to be the right-hand man. The Malik's inside, and even Jordan Elliott, when he's getting snaps, and when they move... Clowney inside. They moved him inside a lot. They let him do that stand-up A-gap stuff. Joe Woods was fun in this one. Between the green dogs with your corner to the nub tight end, what the nub tight end means is the tight end to the single side in an inline position. He's got his hand in the dirt and there's nobody outside of him. So that means the cornerback to that side can trigger that green dog blitz if he gets it. Let those guys use their athleticism and he let Denzel do that and it resulted in two great, great pressures. Um, they played 6-1 front. If you read today's if you're listening to this uh, on Tuesday, I'm going to post the All-22 defense uh, notes, and they did 6-1 front, which is you walk down your two linebackers in base, and it's a great way to take away outside zone. You eliminate double teams. You're, you're setting a wall at the point of attack, and it was fantastic. It's what Bill Belichick did in the Super Bowl to the Rams. It's caught on around the league, and they played it well. They really shut down. The run game for Minnesota, and Minnesota, much like Cleveland, just wants to stay with an efficient run game that keeps them in front of the sticks and allows them to use their play action, and the Browns just eliminated that face. They eliminated it and forced them to throw, and boy, were they getting after Kirk Cousins. And making Kirk Cousins, as I said, was a key in this game, come off his first read. He was frazzled throughout every portion of the game after the first series. He just did not look comfortable. And again, shout out to Joe Woods. They did a little tilted front, tilted nose, meant to anchor double teams at the point of attack, keep linebackers free. They brought the safety down. They did a ton of different things. They trapped, they trapped, uh, they trapped the Vikings' offense and tricked them several times. And you you really really love to see it. That Joe Woods. I went into this game thinking. This was going to be a game where both teams would scheme up pretty evenly. There wouldn't be a coach that outcoached the other. It'd be about players making plays and turnovers happening and who capitalized. No, I was wrong, man. Joe Woods is doing some fun tweaks to this defense. He is uh, he is unleashing his players in, in good positions, and his guys are responding to what the scouting is telling them to do, the routes that they're getting. And man, the youth is stepping up, greedy stepping up. And, and Greg Newsom still, when Greg was playing, stepping up. Grant Delpit stepping up for Ronnie Harrison. And in that, you know, if you mix that in with JOK stepping up, and then you get the veterans like MJ Stewart and Troy Hill who are who are playing well, 
and you really have enough talent to win a Super Bowl with this defense. So it is good enough, guys. I'm telling you, they're going to be tested like mad the next two weeks, like really, really tested uh, with this trip to L.A. to play Justin Herbert and the Chargers, who pack a really nice punch between all of their skill position guys, and they're getting pretty solid O-line play. And then we all know about what Kyler Murray's doing to start the year. So they're going to be tested. But for now, the last two weeks, as fun of defense coverage as I've ever had covering the Browns, and as far back as I can remember, this is as fun of a defensive collective group that is not a mirage. They're talented. They're very talented. It's not a mirage. This is a good group. They're not putting up phony stats. They can really play with anybody if they're right. And, uh, they're right right now. So this is why it's going to be a fun next two weeks. We can hopefully see a really fun battle between offense, defense, and we'll talk offense tomorrow. Hopefully they start to figure it out a little bit too to alleviate the burden of having to be perfect on defense. So uh, like I said, check out the All-22 scouting notes. I'll have those up on the defense today in the OBR. For those of you who subscribe, I urge you to subscribe to get those for both sides of the football. We will have a chalk talk on Baker tonight, Tuesday night. And then tomorrow we will have the defense with John Stephenson, the O-line with Kyle Murphy. So I just want to make sure that's clear. After this week, I think, tentatively, we'll start just doing all Chalk Talk Wednesday and pushing it to just one day. But for now, we're doing the Tuesday-Wednesday Tuesday, split. And I want to make sure you know about the defense with John Stephenson so you can see, visualize some of the things I'm talking about. Okay, I, As usual, I'm going to share the Monday Rewind portion that I joined the show. It's myself, Stephen Thomas, just talking back and forth about what we saw in the game, taking user questions. I think it's a pretty good portion uh, for you guys to see some of the things and how we interact on Twitch, all that. So hopefully enjoy it. If not, not offended if you turn the pot off. If you are going to turn the pot off, I'll make a couple quick reminders. Get in, get the review in, leave your Twitter handle so I know you left a review. Let me know uh, kind of what you think of the show, all of that, and you into yourself into a drawing to win a hat. That will take place by the end of this uh, this week. I will get 10 winners for free Browns Film Breakdown hats. So get in on that. For now, let's get over to that Twitch Monday Rewind with myself and Stephen Thomas. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That uh, question here is Walker uh, going to move Smith back over to Will. It seems like they found something here with Malcolm at the green dot. It's obvious to me, and I don't break it down nearly as much as you, that he's been stellar uh, at Mike the past uh, couple of days. Well, what do they do? They sign Walker to play that spot and then have the green dot. What do you do in this situation? I have absolutely no idea. Now, that's why I know you guys <laughs> join this show, and that's why you pay attention to what we talk about, because I don't know. I made that point the other day, Steve, that I think that like uh, it might have been on you when you and I were chatting too for my pod that like I don't know if this happened out of uh, happenstance. It did. I mean, like I think that in a way the Anthony Walker injury has helped this defense, not because Walk can't play, just because as you see the man on your screen, you know, uh, uh, Kevin. Uh, sorry, geez, Malcolm Smith moved inside. He was struggling at will in week one, getting exposed because will is a heavier pass coverage player. And uh, he was getting a, not a little bit. I mean, most players, Steve against Travis Kelsey get exposed. It's not, it's not like you should be ashamed of that, but that forced Malcolm to play inside. And thus number 28 finds the field a lot more, right? JOK finding the field a lot more because obviously gaining experience as a young player, but he's getting in the groove and they need somebody athletic to play the will position. And he is 
been stellar, like really, really good. So I, again, and kudos to Malcolm Smith for coming in to play Mike and playing really well. Kudos to, to JOK for coming in and, and, you know, really establishing himself and kind of making it hard to keep him off the field, period. Uh, I don't know what they do, though. Walker was, in my opinion, moving really well, playing really well week one. Uh, maybe they maybe they take uh, Walk and make him a two-down player and they bring in Malcolm Smith for um, some third downs, right? I think we saw Elijah uh, a little bit of that with Elijah Lee this past week where mm -hmm. he was coming in for some situations uh, to, to sort of spell Malcolm Smith and Mike. And maybe they're going to go with a little bit of a two-Mike system, rotating those two guys, Steve, both of which can wear the green dot separate times on the field and then keep JOK out there as much as possible. So, yes, we all want JOK to play more. He's not going to play 50, 60 snaps because they played – listen, man, this is, again, this is why they pay me next to nothing at the OBR. I got the data for you, Steve. Okay? <laughs> they played, folks – boy, my handwriting is getting worse. 19 snaps of dime – or, sorry, 22 snaps of dime, 14 snaps of nickel, and 25 snaps of base. So – it's two to one on on that look, right, Steve? Of 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 more DB heavy uh, uh, personnel groups. So when you take when you play nickel, it's down to two linebackers. When you play dime, it's down to one linebacker. And when you play dime, they took out again. This is this is what was interesting to me, Steve. They played dime even when Ronnie Harrison left the game. Left the game early. Left this. It's like the, the, this is amazing. Ronnie Harrison, like the Jags game last year, he left after one play. I think he left after two plays Sunday, and then you know this. What was the Chiefs game? It was like the third play. He got kicked out of that yeah, game. It's really, like it's that, really yeah. weird. But they were playing MJ Stewart. They didn't care. They were going to stick to their guns. They're going to do what the plan was. That was to uptick uh, um, heavier defensive back usage stuff. And that that what it does is it has JOK come off. He's not the he does. They don't trust him to call the system yet. And if they don't trust him to call the system stuff, call the plays, he can't be on the field every single play. So that limits him. But if they go a lot of dime and they go a lot of nickel, he has a chance or sorry, a lot more nickel. He has a chance to be on the field. And what they did this week is instead of taking him off the field and base, they left him on the field and base a lot of times, meaning three linebacker groupings. He had come off before he stayed on a lot. That's why he got up to, I think 35 snaps in this last game. So they're good there. They're actually good. When they get Jacob Phillips back and they get Walker back, like man, a bunch of pieces they can play with in that linebacker room to be, to be pretty dang good. And then, you know, you trust your, your, your nickel group because Troy Hill played a great game. I think they, they trusted Troy Hill, and I almost tweeted this out earlier, and I meant to, and I'm going to at some point. They they brack they literally left Troy Hill on an island against the third wide receiver for Minnesota, Steve, and just said, "Hey, you're going to cover him. It's KJ Osborne or DD Westbrook. We don't care. You're covering him." And he did. He really did for the most part uh, cover them, and they bracketed Thielen and Justin Jefferson as much as they could possibly do, playing some cover six, playing some cover four. Uh, playing some 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 two man uptick and two man right, so they did some different things and said we're going to help out our two corners against these two pretty good receivers. So listen, they're they're moving this defense all around. They're not staying the same, and uh, the personnel will continue to help. I don't know exactly what the split will be when Malcolm Smith comes. Sorry, when when Walker comes back and and that changes things for for uh, for Malcolm Smith, but. The, the the good thing is to me, Steve, that they got a bunch of dudes who can play. So that's that's where I'm at with it. And again, it, it kind of works in tandem. We were worried about the D tackle group. Malik Jackson, fantastic game Sunday. They're playing. We were worried about how does the linebacker group uh, work out. They're playing. So listen, man, those two positions they're rising to the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple things uh, here from the chat. Uh, one from Muddy Dog. Again, always here. Uh, cheers regular. We appreciate you. Uh, I, this is what you and I talked about uh, in the weeks after the draft, looking at the additions and looking at the long term mm -hmm. thing. As a rookie, he was obviously going to be on, a, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word pitch count, but they only trust him to do certain things. They're going to put him in a position to do what he does best and not put too much on his plate as a rookie. But by the end of the year, definitely by next year, I think, and tell me if you still agree with this. Uh, I said way back in the summer, I think there's a very good chance that 95% of the linebacker snaps will come from JOK and Anthony Walker because I think Walk has a really good chance, assuming he's healthy, to earn more than a one-year deal that he's here currently on. 
Dude, they love him. They love him. They love Malcolm Smith the same way. Two veteran guys who demand uh, respect, who have been on big stages in their career, and we've been talking about this. The, I think that it was very public how much Indiana respected uh, respected Anthony Walker, and they made a big deal about it, and it's the same way, but a little bit more hush-hush in Cleveland, but I, I think you can gather it too, Steve, the way I have in little brief snippets how much they respect Malcolm Smith and those two guys have been playing so well uh, at that position that it's going to I think they have a chance to really uh, accentuate each other uh, as for JOK calling plays I don't know I don't know how I mean they're, they're, we talk about like the forward thinking stuff in football well your mic has traditionally always been your play caller and that's just uh, air quotes the way it's always been. Now, could they get creative and say, "Hey, we really want our two mics to uh, to rotate and and through that keep twenty eight on the field all the time?" Sure, I think twenty eight. Every time I've heard him talk, I'm impressed by the type of person he is, the thoughtfulness, uh, the way he the way he uh, articulates his opinions, which are usually super interesting. Uh, I think he could do it. But they also say, why do we want to do that to this young man right now right. when we have two able veterans to handle it? So it's a possibility they could go to the route of JOK calling plays to alleviate the issue of him coming off the field. But also, it's not necessary to risk it because much like JOK is playing well, I think Walker, when he comes back, is going to continue to, to show out and play well. And I think Malcolm Smith is proving that he can play well, too. So... You know, it's it's gonna. I just trust this these these defensive staff to work it all out, right? And and yeah, I mean, John Johnson can can do that, but they like to have a, a secondary guy who's focused on helping the secondary right. people, the coverage people. Now, they, there's a bunch of different routes they could go. Brandon Staley used John Johnson as the the green dot in, in uh, L.A. last year because they were so beat up at linebacker they had no choice. That is not what Staley wanted to do, but they did it. And uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see if they ever get to that point. But for now, I, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of creating much to do about nothing here. They're playing well at the position. We've seen a nothing. We have seen nothing but upticks in 28 snaps. And, um, yeah, I, I think the two guys who will eventually be rotating at Mike next to him are playing really good football, too. So that's, uh, that's important. And, and a reminder that 28 has been a really, really great special teams player. So. Mm. You cannot take that uh, for granted. He's he's flying down the field in all phases of those things. And uh, if you're going to play 30 snaps of linebacker, playing 15 snaps of specials at 110% is nice too, right? Yeah, and you know, let's say Walker comes back and plays the way we think he does. Then we get to have, uh, between him and Malcolm Smith and JOK, and frankly, Sione Takitaki has surprised me. He has settled into a limited but important role, and he has mastered it. He has played it. He's, he's playing – his 15, 18, 20 snaps, whatever it is, a game, really, really well. We're going to have a super fun conversation on social media about number 51. And you know how rational everybody is on both sides of that debate right now. Uh, moving on to just the defense uh, as a whole, uh, our producer, Ian, uh, Miles had some availability with the press today. He was asked about the defense, about the, uh, the, the difference in approach, the improvements and everything. Go ahead and roll that. Let's hear what big number 95 had to say. And we were, we were talking on the sideline, uh, me and Oda Nickbo. And we were saying this was a, just like a playoff game. It's like a 12, 15 round fight. You know, it's, you know one of these old uh, football games where it was just two defenses like slugging it out. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, it was it was beautiful being being able to go back out there and, and uh, put them awake. I feel like it was you know, that's how it was supposed to be. It was kind of poetic. Hoping that we can make this a trend. You know, we we uh, we know we we got started with a rookie, but you know Cousins was playing very well. Their offense was, was clicking; they were rolling, and uh, you know, we just doing what we could do. Uh, I will take uh, uh, just a little quibble with Miles there. I know he was uh, uh, pretending that uh, he wouldn't have it any other way, but my guess is if you asked him, he would rather be ahead 38 to six and pin his ears back 27 plays in a row and just fly around the corner. But I appreciate the, the, the I appreciate the confidence there. Um, yesterday, obviously not what we thought. 
Um, we thought there would be more points on the board. I thought it would be a lot closer than a lot of other people did, and they would have to be careful and avoid turnovers, which is something we'll get to with Baker in just a minute. Uh, but your thoughts on the way the defense uh, performed specifically in certain areas uh, yesterday, what, what stood out to you? We know they smothered him for the most part. What stood out to you on the defensive side of the ball? Creativity. Uh, they had they had a lot of uh, different things that they applied. I'm going to write about this for OBR subs tomorrow. Uh, the the Joe Woods implemented to uh, sort of frustrate what the Vikings want to do. Much like Cleveland, the Vikings want to have run game efficiency, right? Where they put themselves in really good situations in the sticks, and they can be creative and get shots downfield, but also keep themselves out of third and eight. And trust me, nobody in the league right now wants to play third and eight against your Cleveland Browns. They don't. The way these guys are rushing, it's uh, it's something we've watched other teams do for a long time, and and this is uh, this is different. You, you're you're seeing it. it's your team that's doing it now. They're winning pass rushes at a ridiculous rate, and what they did was fun stuff, Steve. That stuff that a defensive coordinator should be commended for. They ran a tilted front, which means you take your nose tackle and you tilt him to two-on-one uh, run game you're expecting. They call it a, a tilted nose. I'll, I'll, again, I'll be posting this in the All-22 notes tomorrow. It is a way to alleviate pressure on the second level. It's obviously a disadvantage if you think a team's going to throw, uh, but it's helping in run game. They ran 6-1 front stuff, which Bill Belichick was super famous for started a trend against outside zone teams in the Super Bowl against the Rams a few years back. So they implemented 6-1 front, which is walking your two backers up and playing them off the edge to form six up front with one backer, basically eliminating those double teams that run games like to use, like Cleveland's does. Uh, the Vikings are the similar, a very similar approach there. So listen, they held Dalvin Cook to nine rushes for, what, 36 yards? They held Madison to 20 yards. They kept Minnesota's run game from ever becoming any factor in this game. And it was never, Steve, it was never a game that wasn't within reach. If they could yeah. have run the football, they would. They could not run the football. Right. How many times have <laughs> I just, we have yearned for a nostalgic, tough defense that gets after the run game, shuts it down, and then punishes quarterbacks in predictable situations. And that's what you saw. And you saw a defensive coordinator take, coordinator take advantage of his personnel. He did a bunch of the green dog blitz stuff we've talked about. The two pressures from my uh, from Denzel Ward. Again, I'm going to write this up so it's a little bit more clear. But when a team runs what's called a nub tight end, so say the ball is on the right hash, you have a tight end to your right side, and you have three wide receivers to your left side. You have nobody outside of your tight end. That's called a nub player for some reason. They, they name it after the uh, – you know, like a, like a, like a lose my arm. It's a nub. I don't know. Just a nickname, but that's what they do with it. And it was, uh, in coverage. Denzel was told, Hey, if that guy stays in the block, you can green dog blitz. You can delay, make sure he's staying in. And then boom, Denzel does it twice. One ends in a half sack, another off of a play action. He almost timed it up, Steve, to rip Kirk Cousins head off from behind ends up breaking up a play action though. They did that twice. They did some blitz peel stuff. Uh, what that means is we're going to send five, Steve. We're going to send our four D linemen, send an extra a linebacker to bring five plus, but then at the very last second, trick the quarterback into thinking pressure and then peel him off to the running back, sneaking out. Did it with Malcolm Smith. That's creative stuff. They're trapping coverages. They played more man. They played more two man than they have played in any game to try to bracket the outside wide receivers with two safeties over the top. It was, I, I said before the game, I thought it would be low scoring. I really did. I thought it would be low scoring, a little contrary to what most people thought. Uh, but I didn't think anybody would outcoach anybody. That's something I said. I thought both coaches would have both sides of the football for each team would have a really great feel. I'm telling you right now, Joe Woods outcoached Minnesota. He flat out did. He put things in place and they implemented them extremely well. And they they got after him, man. They got after every single thing that Minnesota wanted to do. They were the aggressors after the first series. They felt them out. They were the aggressors, and uh, Minnesota was on their heels. Kirk Cousins was that confused, stammering quarterback in the pocket we wanted to see, and it was just a thing of beauty. It really was, and they're winning pass rushes. Look, look I only have them at 10 times that they brought five-plus rushers. On two of those, they were green dog pressure, so they weren't even five-man initial pressure, Steve. One of them was appeal. 
One of them was a simulated pressure dropper. So uh, if you recall that screenplay where John Johnson blitzed untouched through uh, Kirk Cousins' right side, I don't know if you recall it, he blitzed untouched. And uh, JOK also blitzed through there untouched. They dropped Tack McKinley, the DN, to the screen side. They dropped him into coverage. Uh, that's actually literally the picture. That's our man Ian, clutch picture right there. That is the exact play I'm talking about. They ran a sim pressure. They brought those two off the left side, dropped tack into the flat on the right side. Guess what play they were running? A screen that direction, and it worked out beautiful. So they only really blitzed seven times, Steve, and that's how that's how they got after the quarterback. You're winning your pass rush reps with four players, dropping seven. That is a nightmare for a quarterback. Well, and I think uh, we, I talked about it with Mac a little bit, and it sort of tags on to Muddy Dogs here, uh, a question here. Uh, I, I, people that have saying we should blitz more, we should blitz more, we should blitz more, you're going to be disappointed. They're never going to blitz like the Steelers of old. They're, they're just not going to be a 30%, 40% blitzing team. It's never, ever, ever going to happen unless the front four stops getting pressure consistently because, like you said, and we said all off season. You get home consistently with just four. It opens up so many options on the back end. But the the front four, the Malik's in the middle here. You know, Malik Jackson said McDowell's a brawler who just wants to knock people over, uh, which I love, by the way. I love that kind of a mentality. Obviously, he's a little more disciplined than that. Malik Jackson is, is sort of being a little hyperbolic because you can't just go in there and be a bull in a china shop. You have responsibilities in a certain gap and a certain you know, angle and all that kind of stuff that you break down in your films every single week. Uh, the, the pressure from the two in the middle, we saw it somewhat in the first two games against the very mobile quarterbacks that beat it because the, the, uh, the corner, the uh, both edge guys were going wide around the, around the arc, around the corner there. Has there been a significant change in the interior defensive line, a style of attack, or are they just all four working to better working together better in your opinion? Working together better. A little bit more of the boss front stuff is working well. Um, you know, Justin didn't really run as much. Not that he had lanes. I thought they condensed Kirk into, and again, not that Kirk's going to run. They're still going to play Lamar. You're going to be a little frustrated. I'm sure Justin Herbert's going to get out of a few more pockets than, than obviously number eight there in front of you. We all know what Kyler Murray is right now, and that is going to be a challenge. Uh, so listen, they didn't, they haven't overhauled that stuff. All they've been doing, I think, is condensing the pocket, Steve, with less predictability and how they're right. getting after the quarterback. So think to this, the Browns fourth down play, right? Where they, uh, the first drive missed Kareem Hunt on the third down touchdown. Uh, Baker missed him high fourth down. What did they do? That was interesting. They took uh, Daniel Hunter. They ran him inside. They made Baker step up and leave the pocket to the right side. And all Everson Griffin did was run the high side and track him down. So what, what you're doing is trying to get quarterbacks to react in the pocket the way you want them to. Uh, make them do things the way you would like them to do it. I think Cleveland has started to get a really good feel for that. And that, too, is to Max's point earlier, a thing that happens when you rush more. If I know that Miles and, and Jadevian have a certain way they go about getting after the quarterback, I probably have a better feel now when, they, when they've rushed next to me 45, 50 times what they make a quarterback do, right, Steve? How they make a quarterback react. Thus, I can have a better feel for where to break down in my bull rush or my club swim. How deep do I get before I know that Miles has already created that pressure? It's probably an adjustment to play with Miles. Like, he gets pressure <coughs> right now. And that might be different than if you played with other guys who take another beat to get pressure so you don't react as quick as you should, right? So I think there's been a better balance with that, and I think that these guys have a chance, granted they all stay healthy, to really get a better feel for each other and, and grow into rushing not as individuals but as a cohesive pass rush unit. Huge steps in the right direction there the past two weeks, right? Yeah, and uh, we'll get to Baker in a minute because I know that's why everybody wants to listen to you talk about Baker. We'll do it all night tomorrow night, but I want to ask you a little bit about it tonight. Uh, and uh, obviously, a part of that improvement as well that not a lot of people are talking about is, unlike week one and week two, Grant Delpit is out there. They trust him. He's healthy and he's playing well. They understand now that they can trust Greg Newsom. Didn't know that in week one. Looked great in camp, but he's still a rookie. You don't know that. Didn't know about JOK. So trusting your back end that they can handle stuff 
obviously, like we just said in the reverse, gives you more freedom to do more things up front. A uh, question here from Shruni. Uh, again, another one of our regulars. We're, we're all regulars here. Everybody, everybody here is a cheers regular. I love you guys. Um, uh, and then we'll get to Baker. Is this the best tackling Browns team uh, uh, since the return? I think, um, in my opinion, it's a limited sample size, but they are definitely missing far fewer tackles. There was a couple times yesterday they hit a guy two or three yards short of the sticks and he ended up falling forward and converting, but it's far less frequent uh, than we've seen in the past 20 years. Your thoughts? Yeah, they're fifth in tackle grade in pro football focus right now, which is obviously pretty dang good, right? Um, if we just track it back a couple of years, uh, the Browns were 13th last year in tackle grade. Uh, again, this is a full season. Obviously, we've only played four games now. Uh, they were, yikes, 24th in tackle grade in 2019, Steve. Ta you know, this is collectively looking at them, trying to answer your question about as a team. Uh, they were, well, boy, 32nd in tackle grade in 2018. That's not good. 2017, this is the furthest we'll go, 20th. So, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that they're playing well in the tackle department. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not, I'm not I didn't, I didn't know that data before I started poking around. We have definitely talked about this for a long time, right? like about how you either enter the league and you can tackle or you don't. And it's usually a team team approach. It's a uh, gang tackling, man. I'm telling you, I posted a couple clips on the OBR film breakdown Twitter feed about how they're run fitting the guy in front of you 26. Like if that guy's making tackles and he's playing tough, they're all playing tough. And it's a, and it's usually a feed off of each other thing, right? If you got 28 flying around making tackles on, on people, you know, you're typically going to want to do a little bit of that too. And it just is a, a we feed off of each other thing, right? And I think that they're doing a great job of gang tackling, making uh, more than one person bring a ball carrier down because that's the best way to do it. But when in space, they're also doing a really good job. And, and it seems like a lot of times the person who's beating people to the point of attack, which we talked about, Steve, when we broke I, – I just feel like I should go back and watch what we talked about when they drafted 28, man, is like – like JOK, it, the big concern was how does this guy take on blocks at the NFL level? Right. Well, he doesn't let you touch him. If you can't touch him, you never get blocked. And he's plays so twitchy. He's so slippery uh, in between the tackle box. And they're doing such a nice job up front between the two Maliks, which we need to come up with a great Malik brothers nickname. Like, I don't know what it is. Uh, I'll put it to you guys in the comments, but they're keeping the linebackers clean. They're doing a great job of keeping them clean. And there were a couple of times I posted one of them today where they brought down strong safety, Grant Delpin and run support. And he made CJ ham like regret it. He blew up the fullback a couple of times. So man, I'm talking about collective, beautiful run defense. Your Cleveland Browns are doing it. They're, they're doing it from every every facet. And, and I would imagine if I look at run defense grade in 2020, you're probably going to – 2021, you're probably going to see Cleveland near the top of it. Uh, they're fourth in collective run defense grade behind the Saints, Rams, and Steelers. So – and they're right on the, they're right on the Steelers' heels. The, the Colts are behind them. These are all teams that have played the run well for the last five years, Steve. So right. they're in it. They're as good as anybody defending the run. And I will say it publicly right now. They are good enough defensively to win a Super Bowl. There's enough talent. There's enough smarts. They're they're as good as anybody in the NFL on defense right now. So, you know, whatever. You know, poke fun at me. Do whatever you want. They're they're good enough defensively to be a Super Bowl worthy team. So that is yeah, what we wanted. At the Absolutely. I you know I I. <laughs> I, I, and as far as the Maliks go, I still think my thought that they were a uh, Saturday night uh, odd couple show on Fox in the 80s is the perk just called the Maliks Saturday night at eight on Fox. I think that was perfect, but everybody else wants to run with it. That's fine, too. Uh, now we will get to the guy everyone wants to talk about, especially when you're on. We'll get to number six here. I'm going to put in the chat a link. Uh, Jake put an article, uh, wrote an article on Baker today. Let's have a conversation about Baker Mayfield. Lots of great analysis in there, lots of stuff. Now, tomorrow night, uh, because Andy is still having issues with his uh, his internet in Kentucky, uh, you and I will be back with what we did last week. Well, you'll be back, and I'll be you know sitting there watching again. We're going to do <laughs> Baker breakdown for an hour plus tomorrow and get really, really in-depth. and under the un We're going to lift the rug and see what the dust is underneath to a minute level. But... While we're sitting here talking about it here tonight, obviously I'm going to give you uh, 
as much leash as you want, but I wanted to start off with a question here from Kevo680, another one of our regulars. Do you think he is predetermining his reads, or is it that he doesn't trust his line and is rushing through his progressions? There's so <laughs> it's so hard to pinpoint one thing. Um, I do I do think there's times where he is selecting the wrong area to get his eyes to right away. And that is causing him to want to get rid of the football at a pace that is not right for the scheme. And uh, sometimes that boils up again, again, like for the most part, if you read that article, I thought Baker decision making wise, Steve was fine. I thought there were a couple plays, the obvious one being, I don't know what the hell he was looking at on that sprint right. out play action to Demetri Felton on third and two. I think his eyes were lingering to the bench route to 13 over the top. And he just, he came off the fake. He initially thought 13 was going to, sorry, Felton was going to be covered by the corner. He had a bench route behind the corner. The corner starts to drop. I don't know why his mind didn't tell him, okay, then I can go ahead and dump this off to the running, you know, to Felton here. That was a bad one. He missed a cover two hole shot to, to Odell and he missed a curl to Odell. That happens. I didn't think for the most part his his decision making was bad. I thought it was fine, which for the most part this year has been uh, pretty good for, for the most part. He's just the last quarter of the Kansas City game, missed some throws. The second half of the Texans game, missed some throws. The uh, the Bears game, he missed some throws. The Felton, uh, you know, wheel route, the, the Harrison Bryant over route in the fourth quarter. He's just missing throws right now. Now, we've seen Baker, for the most part, be pretty good with these things, okay? Like, I think he's always been, over the larger sample size, a pretty accurate quarterback. There are times right now uh, that I think he is way too amped up, Steve. I think he's he's trying to throw the football through a brick wall and like the perfect example of him trying to just like accurately place and rip the football, throw it so hard is the the last throw to Odell. Odell gets matched up perfectly on a, on a post wheel concept with with Harrison Smith who cannot cover him in his dreams. And it's open. There's nobody there. The play side safety chases the co the post route. There's nobody out there. Baker just could lob that. He could put that the ball to the moon and right. land it in a – he tries to throw it on a beeline right through him almost, and it misses. He's just – he's way too amped up. Like he needs to calm down, and he needs to find touch on the football. He's just trying so hard to throw perfect throws with velocity, and he's just missing. Like there's – everybody wants an answer. What's he doing mechanically? Is he reading? The, no, he's actually getting to the right places. He's just missing the throws. And, and now it's like a golfer who can't hit the fairway or like a, a basketball player who just can't make his threes. They're there. He's taking the right shot. He's taking the right approach. He's just missing it. Now he's paid to make those throws. That's where his money is earned. Baker has never been a very good chaos-based quarterback, meaning – the play breaks down. He can do it occasionally. He's done some great things, highlights some things sometimes. But for the most part, he's never been a great pressure-based quarterback. Okay, I went back and looked at the data. In pressure situations, Steve, this is when Pro Football Focus records pressure. He's 184 of 400 in his NFL career, 46%. Okay, 2,388 yards, 16 touchdowns, 19 interceptions, 30 turnover-worthy plays, and 104 sacks. So he's he's not, in the last two years, he has taken steps back in terms of his production uh, and metrics against pressure. So I don't know how that rectifies itself. The, the thing about playing quarterback is it is calm in chaos, and I wrote about it today. The goal of the 21 other players on the football field at any given moment when it's offense defense is to be as chaotic as you can possibly be, whether you're receiving other people's chaos and battling it with your own, whatever. You have to be the eye of the storm as a quarterback. The best in the business can stand in the messiest situations and find success. And right now, the guy in front of you, Baker, is not doing that consistently enough. So... He has to. So the thing for Baker has always been if he finds the right head coach, the right scheme, 
the right talent around him. You can set, you can surround him the right way and he can, he can find success because he can make the throws when he needs to make, you know, he can find the schemed answers and he's missing those schemed answers right now. That's the biggest issue here. I'm not asking for Baker to go do Pat Mahomes type of out of out of structure things. I'm not asking him to do that, Steve. Never have. But you got to make the throws that are right there in front of you to make. And Sunday was the worst example of him missing those throws. Now, he has been a really good deep ball passer his NFL career. Last year, I think he was Cody, Cody Sweck, our good friend, Mr. Analytics, hooked me up with some numbers. He's he, I don't have them perfectly in front of me, but he's been good as a deep ball thrower, just a completion percentage. He went 0 for 7 on balls 20 plus yards down the field. I'm willing to write that game off as a one-off. Like it mm -hmm. just it happened. You flush it down the toilet and you move on. But again, it's got to get better, guys. That's all I'm saying. It's got to get better. Baker knows it. He's talking about it. You can make whatever excuse you want to make for him. The injury's cool, but he's playing, Steve. If he's too hurt to play, then you're paying Case Keenum $7 million to play. Let Case take a couple games and get your body right. So I don't care if you're out there playing. You're playing because you are healthy enough to play. He's playing not like his shoulders hurt, guys. I'm sorry to tell you, but he's not playing like his shoulders hurt. He's playing recklessly. And maybe it's because he doesn't have any other way to play. Cool, but there is no wincing. There's no, uh, there's no, my shoulder is like stopping me from running or do He's not playing that way. So again, like if you're too hurt to play, then, then somebody needs to be a man at the table between the decision makers and not let them play. So that's where I'm at with it. I'm more than willing to write that game off as a one-off and say, hey, man, it happened. It sucks. Everybody wants it to work out. And right now it's just a little stressful and it, it didn't work out. There's a long season ahead. There's still what what 13 games to play, Steve. It's got a long it's got a long way to go. He's a streaky quarterback. He'll figure it out. I'm more than willing to do all of that. But the thing is, I'm paid to analyze where he's at currently, where he's going, and right now it's been a really rough start. 2 years in a row with really rough starts. So he's got to get it right. But but that's I mean, again, you guys want me to give it to you honest? I get no better pleasure out of telling you that Baker Mayfield's playing elite football. It's my favorite thing to do in covering this team. It's just not happening right now. And does that mean that it's in like, did, did the script of what happened for the 2021 season get finished yesterday? God, no, absolutely not. There's a long way to go. You can turn it around and figure it out. I think Alex Van Pelt, Kevin Stefanski won awards. They got places last year, playoffs coach of the years because they figured it out. Right, Steve. So, that's what's going to happen this year. They'll, they got plenty of time to do it, but the story will ultimately be written based on how well the quarterback starts playing for the Cleveland Browns. So that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. And uh, something else I wanted to, uh, to bring up, there was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a question about it much earlier before you came on. I tried to find it and I couldn't. So if you pop this question in there and I couldn't find it, I apologize. But you and I talked about this yesterday on the post game pod. So it's not like I'm totally stealing your question, but I just wanted to shout you out. Uh, I've seen it suggested, and I'm sure you have too, always reverting to his 2019 habits of this is the Freddie year all over again, all that kind of stuff. My point to you yesterday uh, on the post game, and I wanted to see where you are after a day to think about it. Uh, you agreed with me yesterday, but sometimes you do that in the heat of the moment. And then the next day, Jake will text me and go, yeah, you're you're an effing moron. And here's why. <laughs> and uh, I, I get smarter. And then I don't repeat that mistake. But I don't think it is the Freddie year again. I don't think it's 2019 Baker, and here's why. If Baker was off yesterday, like uh, in 2019, he would have continued to fire the ball into bad situations. He would have pressed even more, and he would have thrown two, three, four picks. There were no turnovers, and as far as I recall, there were no turnover-worthy throws or plays. There might have been one or two that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. So even on what we all agree was by far his worst day of the year, arguably his worst day, you know, in several years, maybe his entire career, he did not turn the ball over and he did something. So the, at least in that part, there's a silver lining and it is not panic. This is 2019 Baker all over again. Am I, am I wrong in thinking he, that? No, Steve, he didn't, he didn't make, he didn't make dumb decisions. He just missed throws. It's like, right. It's not like he's shooting fadeaway three-pointers with a hand in his face. He's catching the ball, he's wide open, and he's shooting good shots. He's doing that. He made, again, you can pick on them about the decision, a couple decisions to run. He could have dumped it off for easy throws, but for the most part, 
he he did what he was supposed to do with the football. He did not have a turnover-worthy throw, okay? But he's missing. The CPOE, completion percentage over expectation, means all things neutral in a situation, you should complete this pass. It was negative 18.3. That's how many open throws he missed. The Davis Mills kid in, in, uh, in Houston had four interceptions, Steve. His CPOE was still higher than Baker's. So that tells you how off he was. Again, I am not writing off Baker. I think he just had a bad game mm -hmm. in the midst of an early season where he's beat up, where he got a little bit dinged up in the arm, and he's got to come back from it. So you got to get he's got to get his body right, or if he's playing through the injury, he's got to find a way to figure it out because nobody's going to feel sorry for him, right? You don't get brownie points for playing out here. You, you, you either can do the job or you can't do the job. He is he is still capable of taking this team everywhere we thought it could go. I made sure in the article, Steve, to pinpoint going back and naming young quarterbacks. Now, I, the best in the league that have done it, Drew Brees, I pinpointed Brees, Phillip Rivers, Manning, and uh, Aaron Rodgers. I, I hope I didn't say Aaron Rodgers already, but those are the guys. Go back and look in the article. It's the very, one of the very first things I talk about. It's historical perspective. I had Cody help me with that a little bit uh, last night. And you're looking at not where these guys are in year 12, 13, but where they were early in their careers. Did they have games like this in the first three or four years of their career? There are games all of these dudes had, all of them, that were terrible quarterback ratings, threw for 180 yards, team got blown out, and he played terrible. It happens. He is not immune to that stuff. It happens. It happens all the time. And I went back to, again, not to say, well, look at year 13, Aaron Rodgers. He's already won him. He's great. He's passing. I'm talking Aaron Rodgers, his second year starting. He had this happen when he was young. So that's like the same thing Baker's going through. Like he's in the same stage. So there's historical comparisons for what he did yesterday. It's not like this is the worst game ever played by a quarterback of all time we've ever seen. Like it's happened. It's happened. And Rodgers also didn't play very well Sunday. Again, like it happens. They still won. It's better to learn and toss out bad games when you win, when you go to three and one. But they got the Chargers, they got the they got the Cardinals, they got the Broncos, and they got the bit and the Bengals, who are all pretty good football teams. The Bengals, whatever. We'll figure it out about them. But they're playing three and one football right now. He has to be better. And the thing that is different, Steve is he is in a decision-making year for the Cleveland Browns. They have to decide whether this young man is the franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. Maybe not 10 years, but the next five years at least. So it is every single week for Baker is important from a proving it standpoint, right? Every single week is data for him to take to the table to show them I'm the dude for you guys, right? That's important. The Browns also, it's important for them every single week to gauge whether he is. So all of this is extremely, extremely important. No game uh, is 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 off the table in terms of tossing it away from a when the time comes when these guys got to sit down and decide the future, right? So uh, it's okay. They're three and one. It's great. I'm happy. The team's happy. They're saying all the right things, but they need to get this guy back on track, flat out to go the places they want to go and to go the places <clears throat> they have the talent to go. Baker Mayfield has to be far better, and he can. He can still do it. We've seen it. He's streaky. He can figure this thing out. I have faith he can still do it. Did I Man, freeze up? Sorry about you, that. You got so frozen, I had a heart attack. I was like, oh, yeah, I was not prepared. <laughs> I was um, the co-host who was not prepared. Well, basically, I don't know where it, it, it wrapped up, but I'll just wrap this up. Um, <laughs> um, uh, all the way through the Steeler game on Halloween, we'll be uh, taking these bits and that's what will be donated. So on Halloween, we will do two things. We will whoop the Steelers and then we will total it all up. We'll total up all the bits that everybody has cheered throughout uh, the month of October and tell you how much we will be donating to Susan G. Komen on behalf of you, the OBR community, and the OBR Twitch channel. Uh, we've already had at least $25 cheered tonight, so thank you guys for that. Uh, I did have one question. Uh, oh, gosh, where did it go? It was a good one. In Oh, here it is. You you touched on it, and we touched on it last night. He's, he's streaky. He has been streaky, and I think at least part of that is a byproduct of the way he plays. He uses his emotions to push him to the ragged edge, and that's what he uses to his advantage. It has It's a double-edged sword. It can make you do great things, like as we've seen him do, but it can also hold you back if you're uh, applying it incorrectly. Is he too, and thanks for the question, E. Gillen, one, and all of the uh, uh, all those of you who have um, uh, but you uh -oh. weeks, um, is he 
Can he fix it, first of all? Can he not be streaky? And two, is he too streaky to rely upon uh, to take you to the mountaintop? He's about as streaky as your internet right now. hey <laughs> Anyway, no, he's his peaks in the NFL, Steve, have been good enough to, to, to be a, a contributing part of a Super Bowl team. He was playing well enough last year to help them make the Super Bowl. I thought they were a couple pieces short. Obviously, the defensive side of the football was short. Um, yeah, my, I guess the, the short answer is just yes. So he can do it. He's good enough to do it. Uh, he's just got to get rid of the yips here, make the throws he's capable of making, find the confidence we know he has, and get on the same page with Odell and make it work. And I think there's every opportunity to do so in the coming days. So um, before Steve gets gets uh, gets gets dumped on too quiet or too much with the rain out there, we might might send uh, send a wrap this thing up, buddy. But yeah, that I think he to answer that question is definitely capable of of getting them to the Super Bowl. As you guys know, if you were watching the Monday Night Football game, the the weather out in California where Steve is, LA specifically, got pretty pretty crazy, and he paused up a couple times. But we we got. We got through the end of the show. Hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you guys enjoyed the defensive comprehensive breakdown. Reminder to get those reviews in. Get yourself a hat. Thanks for joining today's show. Be back with the offense tomorrow. We will have a guest, Jeff Risden. Should be fun. Continue to talk about this Browns 3-1 uh, start and where they can go in these next three games that are going to be hyper-challenging. Cannot wait to continue to talk about this team, cover this team for you. Appreciate your support as always. Signing out with the usual. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.